Hello, everybody. Jace here. Quick message before we get to the main episode. Uh, you know, I try not to get too political on the show. Maybe if that's something that really interests the guest, we might get into a little bit of politics, but mostly we're here to just celebrate comics. But uh, I can't ignore what's going on in the world, specifically the Russian invasion of the Ukraine. So uh, on our Twitter, pinned as the tweet, is a link to UNICEF which is an organization that focuses on uh, areas of the world where there is a lot of strife, war going on. Specifically, they try to provide clean water, medical care, and other uh, essential needs specifically for children and families. So regardless of which side of the fence you're on, whether or not you believe that one side or the other is right or wrong, uh, we can all agree that children and their families shouldn't be suffering for the choices that their leaders are making. So please, if you have a few dollars, uh, every little bit helps. You can go to unicef.org, that's U-N-I-C-E-F dot O-R-G, and just look for the Ukraine appeal. Click there, or you can go to the Comic Source Twitter account, and the link is there for you to donate. So uh, again, appreciate the support, everybody, and I uh, hope you're all being safe out there. Welcome to another episode of The Comic Source. We're back with Spawn Daily. Apologies, I missed a day there. Uh, I'm super busy. <laughs> so anyway, uh, as we've discussed before, we're looping in some other uh, Spawn-adjacent stuff that's outside the main Spawn series. Uh, once again, I am joined by Blake Whitlow, who put together the amazing Spawn reading order that we're using. Uh, and this is one of those instances where we're going to dip outside of the regular Spawn series. We're going to talk about three issues of Curse of Spawn. We're not going to go as in-depth as we do on the regular Spawn series, like page by page. But these are this is a very important arc. It's very important, uh, a very important character uh, based on what Blake has told me. Obviously, we saw in the last issue of Spawn that we reviewed, 61, that Spawn was having some uh, flashbacks that maybe it wasn't Chapel all along who killed him, which... You know, it, it's kind of wonky, to, to be honest, um, but you understand logistically behind the scenes why McFarland had to make the choice that, you know, it was the whole falling out with between Rob Liefeld and the rest of Image. You know, uh, it's a very important aspect of the character of Spawn. Who who killed him, right? Like, who did Jason Wynn get to kill Spawn? Um, and you can't have it where it's a, a, a character you don't own. You don't have control over it. It's too important a part of the story. And not only that, like if that were still part of the story, Rob Liefeld doesn't even own the rights to Chapel anymore. He doesn't own the rights to Youngblood. Uh, he sold them and then they got sold again. And yeah, it's a big mess. So, uh, again, you can understand why McFarland made the change, even if it is a little bit wonky. So let's go ahead and dive in. Again, we're going to go through this kind of uh, fast. Um you can see the cover there. I looked to try to find out who this model is. Very beautiful woman. I couldn't, couldn't find it. There is a credit inside for the cover, but it doesn't actually say who the model is. So you can see it in here, uh, cover and design by Brent Ash. That's, this is clearly not Brent Ash, <laughs> unless uh, he 
is cross-dressing, in which case he's a very, very attractive man. Um, but anyway, to get into the, the credits here, uh, Curse of Spawn, number 12, 12 through 14 is what we're going to be covering today. Number 12, written by Alan McElroy. Beautiful Pencils by Dwayne Turner, which are very reminiscent of uh, a McFarlane or Greg Capullo. It's definitely in that style. Danny Mickey does the inks with uh, a special thanks to Chance Wolf. Orzakowski on letters. And then we've got Todd Broker and Mark Nichols on the um, on the color uh, on the color work. Quick thing on the uh, on the cover um, that is a actress named uh, Melinda Clark. So uh, we all know that Spawn was really really big in the nineties. Uh, he had the animated HBO show that ran for three seasons, and he also had a live action movie done by uh, New Line Cinema. Uh, it's really campy. It's full of all sorts of like really cheesy superhero movie tropes and 90 special effects. Yeah, it's it's bad, but in a good way. You know, it's definitely worth watching. And uh, Melinda Clark is uh, the actress that played Jessica Priest for the movie. Uh, around this time period, as the comics were kind of changing the formula of comp, uh, of spawn's background uh the movie was also coming out they're kind of like tying those elements together so some of the actual plot lines of this comic series uh, of this uh little arc with jessica priest actually incorporates elements from the movie into uh into the comic version of events although they are different the movie is a separate continuity from the the comic series they just todd mcfarlane or whoever uh was uh writing this series they were like hey let's incorporate some of the movie stuff so if we have any fans of the movie coming into the comics then there's like some common ground that they can dive into and be like oh like from the movie so yeah so let's go ahead and dive in uh we meet this woman whose name is jessica priest when she's just a little kid uh you can see her there her house is on fire She's got her little stuffed animal and she's she's roasting marshmallows uh, mm-hmm. outside her house as her house is burning down. And when the, the fire department shows up, they, oh, where's your parents? Are you OK? And what they come to learn is that her parents didn't want her eating the marshmallows. So she decided to set them on fire while they were in bed so she could roast her marshmallows. So from a very young age, basically, we we're told that this chick's nuts. That's she's that's thinking. yeah, there's not you see the knife inside of her bear. <laughs> yeah exactly yeah. i mean this isn't a, a, a stable human uh and it's it's you know right from the start so um we jump forward a few decades she's uh, in iraq she's killed a bunch of people she's singing songs as she kills people um uh, it's my party uh you'll die if i want to you know <laughs> like again clearly not stable but clearly very capable um so uh, she's got this Iraqi general who she uh, sticks a bomb in his pants, basically. So, you know, she's going to blow off his manhood unless he gives her the, the codes to the missiles. He complies and she blows him up anyway. So pretty, pretty typical stuff uh, when it comes to, you know, psychopath. Um, we find out that she's working for Jason Wynn. Jason Wynn and her seem to have a special bond, I'll call it. It, it doesn't seem to be sexual necessarily which you might, you know, assume because he's, uh, you know, she's a very attractive woman and he's Jason Wynn. 
you know, professional scumbag, but it, it definitely seems to be that she, and you'll see this throughout the, the arc here, she really desires, uh, she wants to be able to kill people, basically. Like she wants an outlet for this this side of her and Jason Wynn provides that. So he's one of, you know, her, uh, she's is one of his best operatives and, and she definitely takes advantage. So he gives her a new mission. She needs to go and steal something called bio weapon heat 16, which mm-hmm. is being developed by these fraternal twins. Uh, the man is Kevin, Gregor and the woman is Liz Arno. I don't know why, if they're fraternal twins, they have different last names, but they do. Uh, and Maybe they're also married. <laughs> they're also, yeah, crazy, incestuous brother and sister. It's kind of gross. Um, but either way, she's got to go and, and steal this uh, weapon. But before she does, she, she checks in on the home life. <laughs> so it's so interesting here. She's married. She has a couple of kids. Um, and again, it's just, she talks about that she's scratching an itch here. You know, what is it to, to have a normal life? She tells her family, she's a, a businesswoman and she's just kind of playing a role. You know, we're told that this is her playing house, a little game she likes to call family. Um, but yeah, clearly not, not something that goes very, very deep. So uh, it doesn't take too long before she's in the air. She's flying to South America. Um but she's betrayed by the guy that they hire to guide them to this secret bunker location where they're developing this heat 16 bioweapon. The boat they're on is blown up. She, of course, because again, she's super formidable, uh, survives the explosion, starts taking out all the guys as she's leaping through the air, you know, she can expert markman hitting this guy in the eye, hitting this guy in the forehead while jumping with these pistols. Again, comics, very nineties. Mm-hmm. Um, Big action set pieces. Everything's on fire. Yep. Everything's on fire. Double page spreads. Ends up in the river. Uh, again, uh, South American river. Of course, there's piranhas and giant crocodiles and what have you. Shoots a crocodile, watches it get stripped to its bone, down to its bones in seconds by the um, by the piranha. And then this is really interesting, right? She climbs up on the boat of the guys that attacked her. There's only a couple of uh, of her men that have survived. And she basically, and there's all this poison gas around and she tells all these guys to take their masks off or she's going to start shooting them in the legs, like inch by inch and, and basically torture them. And they're like, well, we can't take our masks off. We'll die. She's like, well, you're going to die anyway. You want to die in you know horrible agonizing pain or do you want to, you know, breathe the gas and fall asleep? What's interesting is after they take the mask off, she's like, you dummies, I was out of bullets. So it, it, not only is she um, really formidable as a fighter she's also pretty savvy um and and completely ruthless so now that she has uh, transportation again she finds her way into the base uh they kind of know she's coming but they're not necessarily prepared because she's just that good again a lot of 90s action here from Dwayne turner explosions and blood and body parts and um she eventually uh does get captured, however, just kind of overwhelmed by these uh, by these two scientists who shoot her and seem to be pretty happy to, to perform some experiments on, on her. Like, oh, this is uh, she's bloody. She's cool. She's beautiful. You know, let's see what we can uh, what we can do with her. So that mm-hmm. leads directly into the second issue, 
uh, that's the third, hold on, second issue, here we go. Uh, when they uh, have started to perform some experiments on her and, and we're, we're told that they, they do a lot of experiments on a lot of different people. We're not 100% sure what this, uh, this heat 16 bioweapon is, but it's clear through the dialogue of these, uh, these two creepy um, scientists, this incestuous brother and sister, um, that they're, they're kind of nuts. They want to make the world supposedly a better place um, by making like advancing humans, um, but they kind of don't care who they kill um, in the short term. So, you know, again, not, not great. Um, and the experiments that have been performed on uh, Jessica Priest, we're, we're told are, uh, really are excruciating, right? Six days of excruciating uh, agony. And, um, but in a way, because she's so sadistic, she almost takes pleasure in, in pain. Like obviously she takes, she takes pleasure in dishing out pain and killing people, but she sort of takes pleasure in, um, in experiencing the pain as well. So we get a couple of flashbacks here also back after she was, uh, incarcerated or, or, you know, the issue with, uh, or, or the event with burning her parents, burning down her home, she was in this mental hospital. They tortured her. That's what we're seeing here. Or, you know, electroshock therapy is what they called it, but really it's just torture. Um, so again, just a flashback and an idea that, yeah, her and pain are, are kind of old friends and it's what helps her, um, be able to deal with, you know, situations like she's in here. So even though they're, uh, experimenting on her and causing her all this pain, she's laughing in a way she's like, well, this is, this is nostalgic. Uh, and even the, the creepy scientists are creeped out. Like she's scaring me, make her stop <laughs> laughing. So, uh, meanwhile, the two, um, of her men that survived, they have been experimented on as well. And they've been turned into these beasts. Um, and here's where we get the plan. You know, the, the female scientists saying we purge the world with heat 16. And then we use our biogen variant, new gen 207 to remake mankind. And, you know, they will be so much better and, you know, more powerful and lofty goal and Darwin would approve, but, you know, everybody on earth now has to die. So, you know, we can force this, uh, this evolution. And that's sort of what these two guys are, are a part of this, this evolution supposedly make people better. So, Meanwhile, Jessica, she's in her uh, cell. She's naked. She's got no weapons. She pukes up something, uh, a little explosive that she, I guess, carries around in her stomach all the time for just such an occasion. Um, so it's not That's too long. For head. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Exactly. I mean, when you're as crazy as she is. Uh, yeah. yeah. So she in my belly. <laughs> yeah. She, and, and, it's, and it's pretty cool. Uh, a pretty cool idea here. So she she pukes it up. She uses it. She blasts her way out of her cell. She gets, grabs some weapons and some clothes from the guys that she took out. And then she just does what she does, you know, doesn't take her very long to take out the guards. I mean, they she was all locked down. They weren't really that worried about her, maybe underestimated her a little bit. She finds her way into the main lab. She finds this heat 16, uh, which is just this Again, little tiny vial of, of almost nothing, smaller even than the explosive that she was carrying in her stomach. So what does she do? Safekeeping, she swallows it. She swallows the heat 16. Um, and then when the scientists come in and find out that she's taken it, uh, she by that time, she's already out. She's already out of the lab. Again, it's not like she's out for revenge or out to take out the scientists. She's all about completing the mission. And the mission is heat 16. She has it. Now it's time to leave. So she goes on the run. Now, what's interesting is 
we find out that these two uh, former men of hers, uh, Obersmith and Zach's are their name, are their names. They have used uh, some of her DNA. They've given these former men who now look like, I don't know, hounds from hell. They've given her, they've given them some of her DNA, some of Jessica Priest's DNA, and they can genetically track her. Like they can smell her DNA. So pretty hard to, uh, to get away from that. Um, if you're uh, Jessica. So uh, she finds this city um, after four days in the jungle, eating edible insects and water vines and whatnot. She finds this town called El Morte. If you're familiar with Latin, that means death. <laughs> the town is literally named death. Uh, and who does she find uh, first, first sight when she comes into town? The guy that, uh, that was her guide that betrayed her, Juco. So uh, she wants to find out who he's working for, why he did what he did. Um, try to see if he, he can help her anyway. And, you know, he doesn't really have much of an excuse. He's just like, yeah, they offered me, you know, a hell of a lot of money. So I took it. So while she's uh, distracted by Juco, she actually gets uh, attacked by some other uh, ne'er-do-wells in this town. And it, it's a little coincidental here. Like really, like it, it is, are all the jungles of South America just infested with like crazy psycho criminal scientists and, like nobody's nobody's good everybody's out there like spawns universe apparently that's the case yeah like, <laughs> like who is there to even like exploit like if you're a criminal you're just surrounded by a bunch of other criminals it's almost like gang war all the time but anyway she's captured and and again sort of captured relatively easily uh for how formidable she is most of the time uh i guess i'll chalk it up to four days in the jungle eating bugs and water vines and all the torture she underwent while she's in the lab, but she does get captured pretty easily here. Uh, meanwhile, the two uh, former colleagues of hers, I guess we'll call them, are are still uh, chasing them, chasing her down. And when they get to the town, they track her to the town. Uh, we're told that they sort of um, help the town live up to its name, as it were, by just killing and eating everybody in the town. We're told that they they have to eat. They have to, uh, there's a lot of demands on their body to regenerate their tissues constantly. And so they're kind of forced to feed. They're always hungry, ravenous. Um, and so by the time they leave the town, there's not much left except for Juco's monkey. Um, so that was pretty terrifying <laughs> in a lot of ways. Uh, meanwhile, we see that Jessica has been taken to this uh, this mine where all these slaves are working to mine some ore which will uh, eventually become your uh weapons grade uranium and uh yeah some kind of warlord here who uh is in charge of this elric westerlin is his name um and basically he he needs this slave labor because again they're they're mining radioactive ore so not only is it hard work and grueling uh the miners don't last too long because yeah radiation poisoning so Jessica's got to think, okay, how, now how am I going to get out of this? How am I going to escape? And uh, Westerling also taunts her by saying, oh, by, by the way, this, what is this thing that I found inside you? It must have been pretty important to be hidden inside you. And Jessica's like, wait, what? How did he get the Heat 16 module? And then we're told, well, he searches everybody that comes in with x-rays and metal detectors. He doesn't want anybody, you know, smuggling weapons in or, you know, some way to escape. So yeah, Jessica's not exactly in a great place, almost out of the frying pan into the fire here. Um, 
and she's back at square one. She no longer has the um, the heat 16 bioweapon. So that's where issue three kicks off. We see her uh, mining. We're told that, you know, she's been there for a little while trying to figure out how to uh, escape. Patience uh, is a virtue for her. And she's willing to wait and uh, kind of look for the weakness. And her experience tells her that the weakness will come. She'll find the weakness. It'll, uh, it'll come. It always does. Um, so as she's mining, there's a, a bit of an avalanche. And uh, her, the, the one friend that she's made in the camp that uh, has befriended her is in trouble. She goes over and, and saves this woman. And Westernling doesn't really like that. He doesn't want anybody to have that kind of feeling of being in control of their own, their own destiny in a way, you know, the fact that she saved this woman. So Westerling shoots her in the head. It's brutal. Like, man, just saved, you know, took out a guard and went and saved this woman and kept her from being crushed in an avalanche. And then Westerling who's kind of overseen everything from high above, just shoots her in the head. So obviously that pisses Jessica off. Um, pretty yeah pretty badly um and westerling having seen that realizes just how formidable jessica is and brings her into his his home and it's like yeah you're, you're really strong and you know i i want to get to know you better i mean she's also very a very beautiful woman you know and he's like yeah, i don't want you to be eating the infested uh lice infested gruel that the regular workers eat you know let's give you something that's more enjoyable um, but, you know, he's, and again, he's trying to manipulate her. He's like, but before we do that, you know, before I, I give you, you know, good food and drink and all that, why don't you tell me about this little module, this thing that was so important that you, uh, that you swallowed it, that you were carrying it inside. And Jessica's response is, uh, well, give it back to me and I'll let you live. How about that for a deal? <laughs> Obviously, Westernling, um, gets a big kick out of that because he, he certainly seems to have the upper hand, right, in this situation. But not for long, because, again, these two former colleagues of her that have been transformed into these hellhounds, uh, it's not too long before they track her to the camp and start attacking. So there's all these explosions, and that's the opening that Jessica's been been waiting for. So once the explosions and all the noise start taking place, Jessica uses it as a distraction to overwhelm one of the guards who's guarding her, grabs his gun, and... Uh, She's on the run chasing Westerling, who uh, is, is trying to escape. You know, he's, he's one of those guys who's a survivor. You know, he's lived as long as he's lived. We're told he, he's had all these enemies over time, um, military dictators and other criminals. He's double-crossed and what have you. And he's, he's always managed to survive because, uh, you know, discretion is a better part of valor for him. He always turns tail and, and runs at the first sign of trouble. Uh, unfortunately, it doesn't work out for him this time. Because um, he doesn't get very far before one of the hellhounds finds him and literally rips his head off um, and crunches his spine, we're told, like cocktail shrimp, uh, which is a very uh, visceral uh, image. So once uh, they've got, once they've taken out Westerling and got the the Heat 16, uh, as Jessica tracks them, uh, she ends up having another flashback, thinking back to. Um, a time when she escaped from that mental hospital, guns ablaze in there, as you can see with that kind of that red filter, um, thinking about other sort of missions that she's she's been on um, over time and uh, also flashing back to um, 
soon after that, uh, when she was captured, how Jason Wynn came and found her. And, and this speaks to that relationship that the two of them have that I talked about before, where they both are sort of exactly what the other one needs. Jason Wynn needs somebody who's, who's willing to kill, uh, you know, without scruples, without conscience, you know, just a weapon he can point and shoot. Um, and Jessica needs to be able to kill, to be able to kill with impunity, to be able to go out and kill out in the world where she's not going to get in trouble, right? If she's just trying to live in regular society and she's out there killing people, she's going to get arrested. She's going to spend, you know, her life locked down in some uh, solitary confinement or something like that. But, you know, Jason Wynn is her ticket to be able to kill, uh, to have permission, you know, and, and from Wynn's perspective, as evil as he is and power hungry as he is, there's a part of him that thinks, you know, what he's doing is for the good of the country. And so, in a way, he's like, I'm, he's giving her purpose, not only the permission to kill, but to kill for a reason. Um, and so that's kind of uh, the, the quick, quick and dirty origin of how those two uh, got together. Uh, so we see Jessica, she catches up with these two hellhounds. They blame Jessica for all the pain that they've gone through. She, she was the leader of their mission. She was a leader of their squad. Uh, and even though, you know, she was double crossed by the guy that was their guide, they still blame her. Uh, you know, they're not exactly thinking straight in this new form that they have. So the one that has the Heat 16 manages, a module manages to escape. Jessica does take out the other one um, as, you know, as hard as that is for her to, to do because he's uh, he's pretty formidable. But she does manage to, to take him out. Basically, he's bleeding, dumps him in the river uh, uh, where all these fire ants are, and they, they sort of strip him down. Um, and then as she's... Uh, trying to get back to the lab where she can once again, get the heat 16 module. She's found by a bunch of villagers who kind of worship her and help replenish her. That part to me, again, little coincidental. I'll buy it, you know, not too terrible. I mean, maybe this is where a lot of that slave labor came from that Westerling was using. Um, but anyway, be that as it may, the, the one um, creature that's left does manage to return does give the heat 16 module back to the, uh, the scientist, but it's not long before Jessica finds her way there. She takes them out without too much trouble because she's Jessica priest. She gets the module, takes it to Jason Wynn and lives happily ever after, I guess you'd say. Um, she even says, uh, were there any, he asked her, were there any complications? She's like, eh, nothing out of the ordinary. So, Despite being captured, despite having to mine uranium ore, despite being tortured, despite all this to her, it's just, you know, another day at the office um, in a lot of ways. And so uh, we're left looking at the uh, the scientists on the last page, um, you know, when she blew up their lab or whatever, their desiccated bodies remain. And uh, we see Jessica return to her family and took them all to Disney, Disneyland, Disney World. So. Uh, that's more of a vacation for them because it's almost like she just had her theme park. Her theme park's going out and killing people. So, yeah, that's basically the origin of of Jessica Priest, who, again, at this point, reading the main Spawn comic, we only have hints that she may have been the one that took him out. But I will say this. Uh, we have a lot more info because, again, Jessica Priest is a Todd McFarlane creation as opposed to, if you want to know like history and backstory on chapel, you got to go read Rob Liefeld stuff, but 
even he doesn't put out that much stuff that's just focused on chapel. His is more of a team book and it doesn't come out very often. So, you know, already with this idea that Jessica priest could be the one that's behind the, uh, the death of spawn. We, we understand a lot more about her a lot sooner as it were than we, uh, than we ever did about chapel and, and his, how formidable he is in his skills and whatnot. So uh, what do you have to add, Blake? Um, this is a really interesting arc. Uh, I like having it immediately after uh, the issue that we uh, just read, where we learned that Jessica Priest exists. So this is sort of like a little aside where, okay, we know that someone named Jessica Priest exists. And then here you go. Here's a taste of what she's like, what she's about. And after seeing uh, the events of this little mini arc, uh, you could absolutely see that, you know, you, you said it best. She is a weapon that Jason can point at anything and she will complete the mission. Doesn't matter who or what is in her way. She has no scruples. She will just, it's a vacation for her. It's her fun time. And after seeing everything that she goes through, she, she just writes it off. Is like, yeah, this is just normal for me. So it's entirely plausible that she is the one responsible for uh, killing Al Simmons. Yeah. What's what's what I like about her as a character, you know, as much as, yeah, that's her happy fun time or whatever there there's a, there's kind of a trope where when you get one of these people, who's like a living weapon who just lives to kill um, it could go one, one of two ways, either they're insane, you know, a la the Joker or they portray them as like almost Terminator, like where they're this unfeeling machine and they, they don't care. It's all about completing the mission. And that that's Jessica to, to some extent, right? Like when she gets the heat 16 module and she's just going to leave. Um, yeah. But there is a, mo- she is an emotional character, you know, she is having fun. And I, I love the way that uh, McElroy, the writer evokes that by having her sing these songs, you know, at one point when she's in the woods about to go uh, assault this base where the, the scientists are, she's singing the theme song to Gilligan's Island, you know, <laughs> and, and and again, it's it's about the mission. She goes inside. She does what she has to do. Yes, she kills guards and whatever, but it's not like she's trying to wipe everybody out. Once she gets that heat 16 module, she's out the door. Mm-hmm. But, you know, and she, even though she's been tortured, you know, because, again, she doesn't think of that as as personal she's been tortured all her life but you see the difference when it's somebody she cares about that's that's hurt right like when westerling takes out her friend at the camp then it's like you're gonna die i'm not gonna let you live you know so it's not that they didn't go either way lean either way into okay completely crazy insane you know no no wisdom sort of thing Mm -hmm. um and they didn't go the other way with this like unfeeling killing machine. She's somewhere in the middle, you know, she, yeah, she's completely unbalanced, but very formidable. But, you know, if you push the right button, she'll come for you. Yeah. Yeah. That's uh, I feel like that's a really uh, good way to look at her character because she is a lot more complicated than this little arc presents. I feel like this arc, they wrote a particular way because they wanted to achieve a specific effect and get it in readers' minds. Like, yeah, she could absolutely do some massive damage. Like she is a real threat. She is formidable. 
And it's going to be a very long time before we see her again, but this is not the last time we've seen her. Um, and, you know, she is in a word formidable. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. She's, yeah, she's a fun, she's a fun character too. So mm-hmm. we'll see how it all plays out. I think the Dwayne Turner art again, I, you know, I mentioned it at the top that his art's very evocative of, uh, of McFarlane or Capullo. So I think he's a real good choice to have this, you know, fit into the spawn universe. Definitely again, very, very nineties in the layouts, like we said, with uh, a lot of like almost every panel, <laughs> something's breaking out of the panel, plenty of explosions, plenty of blood and gore. And so, yeah, definitely aesthetically, it fits very well into the, uh, the spawn universe. So, mm-hmm. all right. Any final thoughts before we wrap it up? Uh, no, that's pretty much it. All right, everybody. We want to thank you for listening as always. Uh, next time we're going to be talking about um, some more stuff that's outside of the regular sponsors. We're going to cover the Cygor mini series, which is a six issue. So uh, we hope you join us for that. And we appreciate you checking us out as always. And we'll talk to you next time. Later. You can find the Comic Source podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, or whichever podcasting app you prefer. Please tell all your friends about us, subscribe, and rate us. The ratings really help with our visibility and our ability to reach new listeners, especially five-star reviews on Apple. Also be sure to visit us at lrmonline.com to join the conversation, access the show notes, and discover all our other great pop culture content. If you want to email us, the email address is thecomicsourceblog at gmail.com, or you can follow us on Twitter, twitter.com forward slash thecomicsource. Do a search for The Comic Source on Facebook and Instagram to follow us on those social platforms. All three spots are great places to find out when we release new episodes as well as follow all our convention coverage. So once again, we want to thank everyone for listening, and we'll talk to you next time.